Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father God, I thank you for the privilege we have to worship together as your people. From every nation, tribe, and tongue that is gathered here and across the globe on this day, we give you thanks because you are faithful, you are true, you are mighty to save. You alone are God. There is none like you, none that can bring a testimony to discriminate against your goodness, your power, your mercy, your grace, or your love. You are faithful. We worship you today because we are your creation, your people who long to live in your ways. As we have sung songs, we have asked that you would hear these songs as both a testimony of our faith and as our desire to serve you more. Teach us today, through word and sacrament, what it means to be your people. And may from the youngest to the most senior amongst us, we hear, understand, receive, and live your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Good to be seen. I'm going to take that liberty. You're happy to see me today. I'm happy to see you. Uh, it is good to have so many children in the church. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I was saying to a dad of a little boy just before the service starts today, I said, I really want to make sure that children never feel uncomfortable in a worship service. And children sometimes don't do what parents want them to do. But I've said this over the years to us as a community of faith, that we gather with the reality of where we are as people, children remind us that sometimes our best made plans won't succeed. Children interrupt us at times where we have priorities. And you know what I've discovered about the interruptions of children is they teach us about the God who we see in Christ in, in their simplicity, in their joy, and in their faith. And so they're always welcome here. And if they make a noise, and if they disrupt a little bit, I hope that we build the capacity as a church to be more than okay with that. In fact, I have found them to be more joyous than most of you, <laughs> more affirming of my preaching than the majority of you, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Almost every Sunday, they run up to me with joy. They are happy to see their pastor. <laughs> we need children. I want to read to you from an Old Testament passage of Scripture, share with you some very simple, brief thoughts, and then invite us to participate in the Lord's table. I invite you to do two things when the Word is proclaimed. One is to make this your prayer. Father, may I hear what you have to say to me today. May I be open, my ears, my heart, my life. Second, may I not only listen and hear, but may I be willing to follow in your ways. For whatever you teach me, 
is what you want for me. So I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord. Joshua chapter 5, reading from verse 9 through to 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. And while the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. Sounds yummy. After what they've been eating, I bet it was. The manna ceased on that day, and they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. The word of the Lord. A biblical scholar by the name of Walter Brueggemann says, about Scripture, that the primary story of Scripture is that God has called a people to be His reflection, His image in the world. The problem is that those people always live in places that keep trying to shape them in ways contrary to the ways of God. So every place in the Bible is trying to answer this question. How can we live as God's unique people in the midst of this place that lives so contrary to his purposes? Place matters. Where we live matters. Where we journey matters. I was thinking about the significance of this place, this land, that we as a church find ourselves on. I'm going to speak a little bit about this at the newcomer's lunch, but for those of you who are not going to be there, uh, I thought it'd be important for you to understand that the people who sacrificed uh, and gave money to acquire this land stood on this land many years ago And as they looked across the skyline of the Northern Hills community, they were so impressed by the view that they decided to name the church Skyview. Place is significant because it has the ability to shape how we think and how we see and how we live. In fact, in the Bible, uh, places have uh, certain significance and names attached to them because they are places where people encounter God. So, for example, on the mountaintops, you know, uh, the smart biblical people, they call the mountaintops places of theophany. 
uh, places where God encounters man. So when we often speak in the spiritual language of encountering and communion with God, there's the sense of ascending to the mountaintops. But the Bible also teaches us about places that are chaotic, places that are not good. For example, at creation, the Spirit hovers over the chaos that is the sea. And most times, in particular, and even in the New Testament, but particularly in the Old Testament, when we hear references to water, it is always within the context of that which threatens to overtake that which God wants to do. So when the people left Egypt, when God liberated them and led them to the place where they would eventually go into the land that is promised, they cross over and through a sea that threatened to keep them from freedom. But our text, our text is in the wilderness. Or perhaps I should say it this way, on the edge of the wilderness. The people are moving out of the desert into the land that God had promised them. And this place is referenced in Scripture as Gilgal. Now, if you did any study of the place, you'll find out that Gilgal kind of has this very simple meaning. It means to roll away. To roll away. In the preceding chapter to the text that I just read this morning, we find this miraculous story of the people led by the priest of Israel crossing over and through the Jordan River, and there at Gilgal, they go back and get stones from the bed of the river, and they erect it as a monument so that one day, when their children ask, what is this weird thing that you did, you can tell them what God did at Gilgal for God's people. So some places on the edge of something new requires the kind of activity that the church has to learn to do well, not only for their sake, but for the generations that are to come. Another way of saying it, we have to learn from the Israelites how to practice our faith in such a way that the things that God does is honored and remembered in such a way that the kids who look at us, those kids who were here this morning, they can look at our lives and say, tell me about that. And we can say, you know what? Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you about his faithfulness. In fact, for those of you who have journeyed with us here at Skyview into this building, you know more than newcomers what an incredible miracle this place is. When my children, who have wandered along with us all through the wilderness that is the Northwest, from place to place, community center to our chapel to gymnasium, we finally arrived here. We understand that this place has been made possible by the God who is faithful. So today, your pastor wants to kind of share just 
three things about being at Gilgal. Three things that I think is important when we stand in a season such as Lent on the verge of entering into Easter. Uh, the first is simply this, that the Scripture tells us that in this place, God rolls away the disgrace of Egypt. Did you catch that? God rolls away the disgrace of Egypt. There's a few things I want to say. First of all, the question that you should be asking is, what is the disgrace of Egypt? Right, Pastor Ryan? And how is it that God rolls it away? Well, for those of you who know the Bible, i sorry I'm going to repeat this, but I'll be very brief. People enslaved to a pharaoh. People made to work in inhumane conditions. To build Pharaoh's kingdom and to build his temples and his pyramids. The people live as slaves without any sense of belonging or knowing who they are. Not only is the disgrace of Egypt referring to the slavery in Egypt, but it is referring to the kind of identity that is forged when people live enslaved like they did. When God says, I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt, he's saying two things. First, that I have mightily brought you out from the place that once defined you as slaves through my hand and by my power. And second, I have led you through the desert so that you can loosen yourself and re-find yourself as my people. You know, it's really hard, especially the older you get, to shrug the identities that others have placed on us. It's really hard at times to believe that we can be anything more than what perhaps that person said once or that place that we come from says we will be. It's very hard to conceive of a real change in belief and knowledge that so deeply affects you that you do not only find freedom from your past, but you begin to believe that God has chosen you to be his very own. It is very hard to step in and to have the faith to believe that when you have suffered and endured for such a long time, that God is able to do that which only God can do. The God at Gilgal is the God who rolls away the things that we cannot roll away. The God at Gilgal is the God who rolled away the stone at the empty tomb. The God of Gilgal is the one that is able, according to Scripture, now I'm preaching, folks, to do immeasurably more than we think or ask because He is the God of liberation. He is the God of faithfulness. 
He is the power that we need for the things we cannot carry or roll away. And in this season of Lent, he invites us to believe that he's in the rolling away business. Come on now. That's as good as I got this morning. So let me ask you two questions. What personally feels heavy? I mean, you've tried. You've tried to change how you think. You've tried to change how you feel. You've tried in your own strength. You've thrown your hands up at God and said, listen, I, I've, wanted some, uh, I've wanted some relief. I've wanted a stone moved here. I'm not talking about those memorial stones out of, out of the Jordan. I'm talking about things that are heavy and weighty and hard. You know, um, Gilgal is, is a very appropriate place for, for learning to understand and see the things in us that God has already changed and moved on. Uh, the, the generation that stands before him now in the promised land and as Joshua leads them in is a new generation of Israelites. <laughs> they have a memory that goes something like this. There have been those who have tried and they have not been faithful and they have failed. And here at Gilgal, the God who they encounter makes this claim upon them. I will do what your ancestors could not do for themselves, because I am God. I'm a little bit of a uh, biographical preacher. My story finds itself into the message. My story is not the story. You're not saved by the story of Stu. Some of you laughed. I'm glad. Um, but I find, you know, uh, when I'm teaching, and, and we just had local licensed ministers together, and I was teaching them, and uh, Pastor Ryan and Brittany and I were teaching them as we looked at Scripture together, how to think and think about Scripture and how we think about preaching. And, 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 and as I was teaching and talking to them about the Scripture, uh, I was reminded of... Uh, how incredibly important it is, not only for me as a pastor, but for us as a people to, to understand, as Walter so eloquently put it, that the God of Scripture is always seeking, always seeking to teach us what it means to live faithfully for Him, whether it's on the mountaintop or at Gilgal. But when our own striving comes to an end, perhaps we can become open to receiving the grace and power that comes from Him alone to lift the burdens and open the ways that need to be opened. Over the years, I have I've had many, many heavy things, you know? And as a pastor, I have um, encountered in my counsel and in my loving relationships with many of you 
the many heavy things that some of you have carried. You know my story well. Where I was raised, how I was raised, the loss of family, drunk driver, mom, dad, brother, sister, killed in one day. Some heavy boulders, I would say. Some heavy things that stands in the way of apprehending that I could ever really feel the peace and the joy of the Lord. <laughs> I got to tell you something. I was driving into church this morning. I have problems. Did you know that? <laughs> I try not to be the problem, but I have problems. And as I was driving into church to this day, I, I started to kind of pray, and, and I soon found myself uh, praying this pray, prayer. May, may your joy be my strength today, Lord. <laughs> Y'all, I'm just testifying. I want to tell you something here. You know, if I think about my past too long, it has the potential to undo me. But in remembering my past and thinking about what God has done back then, I see myself today as, as, as a beneficiary of the grace of a God who is able to do for Stu Williams more than he ever thought was possible. And I want to say this to you, the God who rolls away stones. There is nothing. It doesn't matter who you are and what you're carrying today. I want you to hear this. He is able to take care of it. He is able to take care of it. He's the God who rolls away stones at Gilgal. He's also the God that invites the people to remember their past. It's interesting, as they're entering the future, the tendency that most of us will have as we look ahead is to forget what has been and what has gone before us. I've looked with interest at what has happened globally across the world as we have dealt with all kinds of unrest, issues of injustice, and so on. And, and, and I've seen at times that, that part of what we want to do is we want to get rid of the past in order to apprehend a new future. And what we think we need to do is we need to get rid of all the things that reminds us of the bad past. You know, uh, there's something important about some of those monuments. Because it seems to me that at Gilgal, where God rolls away the stone and opens the way for the people of God, he also wants them to remember where they came from and what he did so that as they enter in, they would live with such a remembrance that generates hope and faith for their future. But such remembrance is honest. Uh, you know, this idea that somehow... They ought to forget how tough it was. It's not how God leads his people. In fact, the Passover meal that they celebrate is a reenactment to this day amongst our Jewish brothers of the, the evening at which they had to eat with a sense of urgency and they had to, to, to put the blood across their doorposts because they, they wanted to make it through the night so that they could escape the imprisonment of Egypt. The kind of remembering that they do in the promised land is the kind of remembering that goes something like this. I, I never thought, I never thought that I could be where I am today 
And the only reason I am here, that I can account for it, that I can understand why I stand in the promised land today, is because of what God did. Because I remember Pharaoh. I remember how hard-nosed he was. I remember how brutal he was. I remember how powerful he was. I remember that there was no hope for my children until that lamb was slain and the blood was put across the doorpost. I remember when Moses came and said, let's go. I remember when that sea was opened. I remember when I got thirsty in the desert and I got hungry and there was a provision from miraculous places of manna and water. I remember the God who led us by fire during the night and by cloud during the day. I remember this God who is still with us right now. I remember his faithfulness. I remember his power. And I remember who he is in this moment. I always feel strange when people applaud. But I'm going to receive that as the Lord speaking a word to you and me. There's poor remembering. Poor remembering goes something like this. We were slaves in Egypt, but at least we ate meat. You know, it wasn't as bad now that we're in the desert. I mean, now that I think back of it, it's all right. I mean, we woke up and aunt so-and-so's son went missing, but, you know, it wasn't really that bad. I remember this happening in my own experience of life. My, my, you know, I grew up in South Africa during apartheid years, and, and over the years, God has shown me so many things, taught me so many things about my own experience, but I will never forget conversations that I had from some people who said things like this. They said, you know... You know, it's getting really bad here in South Africa, man. I, I wish we could go back. <laughs> Woo. You know, uh, some of the, the, the kind of remembering that we are prone to do, uh, and I see this with people who struggle with addictions, and I say this with love and affection and understanding for the struggle and the pain of that, is that sometimes it is easier to go back that, to that which enslaves than to face the discomfort of the present with hope and faith for the future. But you know what remembering does? The right way. It reminds us of what we have left behind. It reminds us of what needs to stay behind us. It reminds us of the God who shows not only compassion to liberate us once, but to fulfill his promises to where he is leading us. Y'all, I'm feeling like I'm back home. I don't know why I just said y'all. I'm hanging around you too much. It's that Oklahoma stuff rubbing off on me now.
It's a place where God rolls away the stone. It's a place of remembering, but it is also a place to taste and to see that the Lord is good. (laughs) You know, uh, people who don't know that the Lord is good, they're not very good to others. No one said amen on that one. People who don't drink deeply of the grace of God, they are often very ungracious to others. You know what happens at Gilgal? They, uh, we don't know if this is the work of God. We kind of infer this from the text, but the manna ceases, that which was provided for them during the desert, comes to an end, and they eat the produce at their first Passover meal in the new land. <laughs> no more manna, but that which God had promised the produce that flows like milk and honey. The psalmist in Psalm 34 verse 8 says this, O taste, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person that trusts in Him. (laughs) I, 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 I don't know what it felt like to have that first Passover meal. I don't know what it's like to move from manna to parched cakes. But what I do know is that what they ate in that new land was more than just a taste of the new land. It was the taste of the God who has been faithful to provide for them in the wilderness and even where they find themselves today. One of the things that people do during Lent is they fast. I've spoken to our locally licensed ministers about this recently, and I said, you know, some people dismiss some of the things that we are called to do because they're associated with traditions that they think are opposing to what it means to be Christian. The Scripture is very clear about this invitation to fast. And here's what I've learned in my own journey with fasting. That as you learn to say no and not eat the things that are easily accessible, it attunes you to a hunger and a thirst for the deeper things of life that are often just sedated when we are consuming. You know what happens at Gilgal? Is that manna ceases. And God begins to nourish His people to live as free people, as His people in a new land. For some of us, this season is an opportunity to bring that which is too heavy to God, trust that He will roll it away. This season is also an invitation to some of us to remember our past. Remember the times where things just seemed like they weren't going to change for you? Too hard? The mountains seemed higher? The valleys seemed real deep? Remember who was there. But then there are some of us who just need to taste and see that God is good. I don't know how you undo 
the perspectives that sometimes we carry with us about who God is, apart from His Spirit. But as we prepare ourselves to eat from the table, the Lord's table, that He prepares for us, He invites us to do so, knowing that He is good. that He loves us, and that He loves you. As the worship team comes, and they are going to lead us in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to, to take the little communion element packet that you received. It is, um, if you need one, just raise your hands, and uh, Henry and our team will make sure you get one if you want to participate. You do not have to be a member of our church to participate, but we do make this very clear, that this meal is an invitation to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is, and it is an opportunity to place your hope and trust in Him. All are invited to participate. All are invited to His table. And so now as we prepare our hearts to receive and as the worship team leads us, I want to ask you that you would search your heart today. Ask yourself, what has God said to me? What does God want from me? Father God, we thank you for your word and your table. We ask that as we now prepare to receive these elements, we would do so knowing that the God who meets us is good. All I've just said, just words, unless your Holy Spirit makes it truth for us. So, Father, do your work. Have your way. We ask this in Jesus' name.